It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. At 28, Dan was leading a healthy, active life. After an optometrist appointment to identify the cause of his persistent headaches was cut short, he was handed a sealed envelope and told to go directly to the hospital. What followed was emergency brain surgery. On June 21st, 2014, Dan's reality was shattered by a devastating brain hemorrhage. With no map to guide him on the grueling path to recovery, Dan had to rely on his grit, perseverance, and resilience to relearn everything he once knew, how to walk, talk, and even smile. This is a time with Fred Podcast, and I have with me Dan, who joins me from Vancouver, Canada, to share his rather powerful story. Dan, welcome to the Time with Fred podcast. Thank you so much, Fred. Pleasure to be here. Honor is all mine, Dan. Why don't you take us back, Dan, as far as you can and, and tell us how, how this all unfolded, how life changed for you? Yeah, for sure. So I was living in uh, London, jolly old England. Uh, moved there after a master's in Sweden in 2014. So I was living working in tech living in London, enjoying myself, having a, night, a lot of big nights out, enjoying the, the vibrant culture, food and cafes over in London. And I was having these headaches that got really horrible over a few weeks. They were blinding headaches. So I was on the tube one day going to pick up a microwave from a friend in West London and my vision went black for a few minutes. Only for about three minutes, but I knew this was not something casual. This was something a bit more serious than what I was expecting. I went to A&E twice. They thought it was vertigo and they sent me home. But they told me if the headaches were to continue, I should get them checked at an optometrist. So that's what you just read there. The optometrist told me, you know, we got to send you directly to the hospital. He gave me a sealed envelope, which, you know, when I received this, it was a bit like, well, this seems kind of serious. And he told me to go directly to the eye hospital, which I did, sort of. I first stopped at home to grab a book, lunch, and a phone charger because I figured I'd be in for a bit of a wait and want something to read. Hmm. At the hospital, they ran the same test and escalated me to the, the actual hospital. It turns out I had a dangerous buildup of pressure in my brain caused from a non-cancerous cyst in my head. They needed to operate and put a shunt in to drain the fluid from my brain. Uh, this is all kind of serious. This happened in a matter of like six, eight hours. Wow. So I emailed my folks in Canada, dropping the old, looks like I'm having brain surgery tomorrow. Called my manager, messaged your friends. Don't think I'll be on Monday, I told them. And it escalated rather dramatically, rather quickly. I made arrangements with my mom. She was coming to London to be there when I woke up. I was on the operating table on June 21st, 2014, when something went wrong. I had a massive bleed in the brain, a brain hemorrhage. The cyst, they think the cyst burst when they operated. They're not sure. My mom lands and finds I was in a critical condition. I was in a coma for four weeks. Wow. But was in and out of consciousness for months after this. It was really dicey, touch and go. When all was said and done, I was learning how to walk, talk, and smile again, which is the trifecta that uh, you read off there, Fred. Uh, and I've been rebuilding ever since. It's been uh, taken a lot out of me. It's been a triumph of grit, perseverance, and resilience to get back from that today. But it's uh, an ongoing process, and I'm happy to, to be where I am today, Fred. Thanks for asking me. 
Dan, how does one process something like that? One moment you're living the life of your dreams, you're in a beautiful, vibrant city, work's going well. The next moment, the news you hear is not what you expect. How did your brain process something like that? Yeah, that's a good question, Fred. I think for me, it was waking up in that hospital room for the first time, surrounded by my mom, dad, and my brother. I was in and out of consciousness for months after this, so they were able to come over there and be the one who woke up from the from the consciousness. And I messed like I tried to speak, but I couldn't talk. My I had a, a tracheotomy to remove a, a respirator that I was breathing in the coma. I couldn't talk, and I pointed at my brother. And I go, "You give me a pen and paper. I want to write something down." And I write something down to him. I go, "Get me out of here," and I show it to him. <laughs> what do you want me to do, man? I can't speak. I'm confused. I'm disoriented. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm in a foreign country. I'm not sure if this is covered by medical care. I just kind of, you know, back against the wall. And it took me months to realize, you know, what had happened and what the prognosis was. You know, I was, you know, in a wheelchair in the hospital. I couldn't walk. So I'd make peace with that. And, you know, my, my goal setting kind of came into play here and it took me, you know, 45 minutes to get in the wheelchair for the first time and then 40 and then 35 and then 30. And you kind of gradually start under, building your understanding that this has happened to me, but it's what I think about it that matters, not what it is. Because you can choose to look at it one of two ways, right? Woe is me, woe is me, or this isn't fair. And, and you're not wrong. It's not fair. You're right. The question I'd always ask you is, and what do you expect to have happen with that? I fought with my everything to keep my mindset pure, my mindset focused on the task at hand. I call this chop wood, carry water. So whenever your mind wavers a little bit, I chop wood, carry water. Meditate, mindset, dive into myself, understand what I'm doing here, like trying to stand how to get the wheelchair faster, chop wood, carry water. And you kind of gradually build up a fortitude around you to understand how to navigate the situation. But it's, uh, you know, it's an ongoing process, Fred, and it's something I'm still dealing with today. Like it's still have to armor up in the morning before I start my day to, to deal with this prognosis of a brain injury. The thing with a brain injury is the long tail that's so long that I'm still dealing with this effects now. I have to wake up, meditate, cold shower, uh, plan my day accordingly to make sure I've got bandwidth and battery to survive and do what I want to do. So it's very intentional and very uh, challenging. You 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 talk about grit. You talk about resilience. You talk about perseverance, Dan. But how long did it take you to get your mind into that uh, mode? Should I say? Were what were some of the initial reactions or emotions that you expressed? When, when this happened to you? Yeah, it's a good point, Fred. It wasn't immediate for sure. Uh, when this first happened, I was definitely a bit woes me in, in some perspectives, but I think the worst I ever said of this was I wish it never happened. And even that, I was thinking that's a bit pity spiral-esque and that, that's what I call, what I want to avoid is a pity spiral, woes me, woes me, cascading down this road of like, it's not fair, it's not fair. It probably took me all like to, to come to terms with it probably about a month to, to deal with this, this setback, to keep my mindset right and to move on and to frame it in a way that was productive, healthy, and, and pragmatic. But that's not to say it was easy to do, but it was simple. And though I made a choice, like, do I want a good life or a bad life? Well, good life. How am I going to navigate through this, this, this setback? I can be 
upset about it or I can thrive after it. And I kind of made these choices and it inevitably lead to the, the point where I'm at today where I'm just kind of chopping wood, carrying water. Better than yesterday is what I say, Fred. And that's kind of how I live my life now is just try to be pragmatic in how I structure this and, and view this setback. What did it take you, Dan, to get out of that always me mindset initially? I think just thinking about it and uh, realizing that no one's coming to save you. Uh, no one's coming to get you out of the situation. Like, it's it's not fair that it happened to you. You're right. It's not fair. And what do you expect to have happen? If you're going to get out of here, you got to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and, and get on with it. It's not going to happen. It ha life happens for you, not to you. And I really just kind of immersed myself in this motivational speeches online, realizing that I got to go inside my own head to kind of navigate the situation. And I had a lot of help, Fred. I'm not going to lie to you. I had a lot of help. Like, friends came out to visit me and I was really motivated to show them I was doing better. My parents came over from Vancouver, helped me navigate the, the rehab process in a foreign country. Like it was very, very much a product of help and, and, uh, and support that got me to where I'm at today. Getting out of that mindset, that always me mindset, uh, Dan is, is, is the reason why this podcast is, is on every day, right? It, it's, it's here to challenge those paradigms, those mindsets, that hold us back now why did you choose to get out of that always me mindset why why didn't you just accept things the way they were and, and just and just wallowed in that in that quagmire of, of self-pity um based on what you're experiencing yeah i think because i knew that at the end of the day no one no one owes you anything no one really cares that much. It's up to you if you want to navigate the situation. So I can be woe is me, woe is me, or I can take active steps to resolve my issue. By wishing something didn't happen, you're not taking steps to actively resolve it. By spending a month wishing woe is me, this isn't fair. It's not, you're not wrong. It's not fair that it happened to you. But at the end of that month, if you look back at where you've gone, you'll just be, you know, I'm nowhere near to getting where I want to be. And I decided that if I accept it and move forwards, I can take steps to proactively improve my lot and and improve my situation much more so than if I just wish it didn't happen because wishing it didn't happen is not a healthy way to resolve anything. Acceptance is what you want to get to. And I found a way to navigate this to get to acceptance as quickly as possible. Now I lost my job this summer, Fred, I was working in tech, uh, in this tech company for nine and a half years. Got let go as a part of a corporate restructuring part of 400 people that got let, let go that day. I was on the wrong side of a spreadsheet. Wow. No performance issue at all. Just just a matter of like we need to cut the workforce by this many percent, thirty three percent. They said or thirty percent. Wrong side of the spreadsheet, and I lost my job. I went for a lunch, had a drink or two, and decided then and there I'm going to become a motivational speaker tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That means I got to buy a computer today. So that first setback took me about a month. This setback took me about an afternoon to lunch to, to get to the point of acceptance because acceptance is where you can actually make gains and steps. Mm -hmm. Why well, wish something didn't happen when I can take active steps to resolve it and move forward with it. So I'm able to, through my mindset, allow myself to expedite the process of accepting things and moving on with things, which is helpful, I think. Now you talk about acceptance, right? Uh, yeah. Of course, that doesn't mean that you're 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 not going to do anything about it. It's not, it's not, it's not accepting life 
for, for what it is and deciding not to do anything about it, right? It's it's accepting the terms, right? But deciding to play, it's accepting the cards rather, but deciding to play the cards that life's dealt you, right? I want us to kind of unpack that a little bit because people accept life the way it is and they decide to stay where they are and choose not to do anything. You accepted the terms, but then you decided to turn things around by becoming a motivational speaker. So, so let's unpack that a little bit and, and maybe dissect what acceptance can mean for for different people and and, and what we do with it right because i think what we do with the acceptance really matters right i like that and for this i share the statistic that i found recently and that's the odds of you becoming a human being are 400 trillion to one some statisticians say 400 trillion to one i had to look up how many zeros that is we're all playing around of cards here the odds of getting cards are very rare but if you get cards you get these two cards we're playing we're playing um texas hold them you know you got two cards those are the two cards you get if you're lucky to get cards you get one round we're playing here you can choose to play those cards you can sit it out you decide you know these cards aren't good enough to play i'm gonna sit it out if you're lucky enough to get a hand of cards a set of cards you play those cards mm. no matter what it's not fair that this happened and i'm not saying acceptance is like saying you're just accepting that, that this this is woes me this is my vibe now it's saying like hey Life's not fair. Things happen. But no one is coming to save you. You got to save yourself. And you got to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and move on with this. I've had so many setbacks along this journey. I should have been dead a number of times. I've walked back from the brink a few times. And the way I walk back is just by thinking, you know what? It's not fair. But it's my reality. I accept it. And that way I can protect, pro proactively take steps to improve my lot and get better. I hope that unpacks it a bit for you, Fred. Yes, it does. Thank you so much for that. Now, Dan, you, you talk about some of these strategies that you learned uh, through through this journey, and that's what you're using to to teach others, right? You, you're, you're sharing some of these, you call them uh, action-oriented life hacks that can help anyone tackle uh anything to face can you can you talk about some of those strategies or lessons dan that you learned or that we can you continue to learn so i believe life is continually a learning process right can you can you talk about some of those yeah for sure that's a good point fred thank you so with with life hacks they're they kind of are hedged in like gamification and fun life life is how you look at it perspective is the whole game so one of the hacks i've got is called icebreakers now, London's quite a busy city. The circuses are just that, a bloody circus. When you're walking in London, you want to find an icebreaker. And what an icebreaker is is someone walking your direction who's breaking the ice for you. And you want to walk in behind them and follow their slipstream. Allow them to take the oncoming debris and traffic, and you follow in their wake. Just like an icebreaker would breaking the ice in the Arctic. You follow in their slipstream. And this dramatically reduces the, the friction you face with oncoming traffic. With the brain injury and in life too, there's just like it's strenuous to face that oncoming strife and traffic. When you can slipstream behind them and ice break behind them, you can reduce that load and strain and make it a bit easier to pallet and, and, and navigate. I do this without even thinking now because I know the value this can have on me. Uh, I'll share another one with you if you don't mind, Fred. Um, it's called Bed on the Ponies. And that's in London, you take the tube to get around the city, it's like the subway. Uh, and I call betting on the ponies a strategy I used when I was getting back from work in Tower Hill. 
in East London, and I lived in West London, so quite a long tube journey. Having a seat on the tube is a great way to, it makes a big difference in being able to rest and recuperate rather than standing and having to dodge traffic and people and being in someone's armpit. Mm-hmm. Going on the pony is what I call identifying people who sat down and trying to guess where they're going to get off. So if they're fancy dress or they're, they're dressed up nice, they're getting more central. Um, making assumptions, you know, making assumptions about them based on all these things, right? And you're trying to box out these seats so you can grab them in case they leave. And I call this betting on the ponies. Like you go on the track, you're betting on the horses. And if you can get a seat to sit down, you can make a big difference in recuperating and resting. And that makes a huge difference when you've got a brain injury. And also just in general life, just to have more fun with this stuff, right? Betting on the ponies. I'll share one last one if you don't mind, uh, Fred. And that's what I call timers and um, timers and alarms. We've all got one of these with us all the time now, right? Everyone's got one of these. Uh, I'm saying let the phone do some work for you, right? You can set timers to limit you for like screen time for certain things. So I'm going to, I've got, you know, half an hour here. I'm going to spend 15 minutes scrolling whatever social network you want to have or 15 minutes what listening to YouTube or or a, a podcast. My timer goes off, you move on to something else. If I remember something I want to do, I can write a note on my phone and set the alarm for like 336 email Fred to confirm podcast for today. When the alarm goes off, I check my phone to see what the alarm was in relation to. Make sure you've got the bandwidth and free time to actually learn at that time. And I email Fred to confirm the podcast. But you'll be away from your computer or somewhere you can write it down, but you're always going to have something with you where you can write a note down and set the alarm for a time where you're not busy. And that way you can kind of hack it to remember these things. Because when you write it down, you capture it. So always write a note as to what the alarm is for, because I can't tell you the number of times that I've forgotten what the alarm's for. 3.36, what's that supposed to be about? You'll be amazing how quickly that fleets away from your mind. Those are some hacks I've got, and that's based off me living after a traumatic brain injury and understanding how to make my life a bit easier in London and also in Vancouver. Hmm. So what keeps you going now? I mean, Dad, you, you lost your job this summer. Another unexpected blow that life had to deal with you, right? Another chance to have wallowed in this voice me mentality. What is it that keeps you going now um, when when life happens? Yeah, that's a good question, Fred. I think my motivation, I talked about this in a talk I gave recently at, uh, at a brewery and talked about how I'm, I'm very consciously shifted my motivation to proving you wrong, which is like, oh, you don't think I can do this? Watch me. And that fire and that that passion's quite mm-hmm. runs quite hot, but it's quite toxic, I think, if you maintain it long term. Yeah. I've transitioned more now to helping people. Service is what motivates me. I want to help you be better than yesterday. And I can show you how to do that. I give a talk, and the most common comment I get from my talks is, Dan, I make my bed now because of you. Mm. Which seems like a really stupid thing to be known for. But it's a symbol of like what you're doing to improve your life and, and, and what you're doing to get your own house in order. And if I can be the catalyst that sparked that inside you, that gives me a lot of pride because I helped you be better than yesterday. If you make your bed now because of me, it's a sign that you're getting your life organized. You're getting your ducks in a row. And I did that. And I've had that mentioned to me probably a dozen times at this stage. And it's like a very weird thing for me to remember because I never made my bed growing up. But now I'm in my bed every day and I take a lot of pride to make my bed because it's the first task you accomplish in the day. You pave the way for more success. The last thing you do in the day 
He's getting to bed. Hey, I accomplished that in the morning. So motivation now comes from more of a service-oriented mindset than anything else, but it's um, I'd be lying if I told you it's not proving people wrong at some stage. It's still there as well, Fred. Right. One of the questions that I like to ask my guests um, on the podcast is, is what defines them? And if I were to ask you that, uh, what defines you, what would the answer be? I'd say resilience is something I'm really kind of, really kind of fits my vibe these days. And that's just kind of showing like, it's not about how hard you, you can hit, it's how about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forwards. Mm. Uh, the brain hemorrhage. I also had a setback. Fred, which I didn't tell you about. In the middle of this return to work, I was found unconscious in my flat by my mom and had to go endure a second emergency brain surgery, which wiped away all my progress again overnight. Uh, I woke up in that hospital again, you know, the heartbeat monitor beeping around me, thinking, you know, what had happened and being told, you know what, you had a second brain surgery done. And I'm thinking all my progress is washed away. It's like, well, you know, we, we got the, the blockage. You're saved now. We saved you. But all your progress is washed away. Yes. Wasn't able to go back to rehab because I'd already tapped that vein. So having these knocks come at me, I found a way just to navigate them and accept them in a way that allows me to move forwards. So resilience is something I think I align with quite a lot. Because what are you going to come at me with now that I can't face? What are you going to come at me with that I haven't already dealt with much harder and severe consequences for? I strive to be better than yesterday and I try to improve my lives. And post-traumatic growth is something that I've been told kind of fits my storyline. It's something I resonate with. I'm not sure if you're familiar with post-traumatic growth, Fred. Yeah. Um, Just in case your listeners are not familiar, but it's just a matter of like, it's like post, uh, what's it called? Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, yeah, PTSD. PTSD, yeah. post-traumatic growth. So you can go one or two ways. Well, I'm sure you can go more than two ways, but for this analogy, you can go, it, it hinders you or it improves you. And I think for me, it's improved me. I've, I've focused myself after these setbacks and these knocks. I've risen to the occasions and, I've, and, I've, and I continue to strive forwards. But that's not, that's because of the help I've received and, and the support I've received from my friends and family. So that's a huge part of this vibe. But resilience is the word I'd like to use there, Fred. Yeah, it reminds me of the saying that what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger, right? Now you talk about resilience, Dan, and there's probably someone listening said, look, I, I didn't even know how to build resilience. I mean, what happened to me is just so traumatic. I, I, I just can't. How does one build resilience? I think you keep promises to yourself. Mm. Um, so start small. Like I'm going to go for a walk around the block and make my bed and meditate for two minutes this week and you do it. And the next week you go for two walks around the block mm. uh, make your bed, meditate for four minutes and you keep improving those things, but you keep promises to yourself. Now you get some self-belief and you understand that I can do this. Um, Building that muscle, it's a muscle. Yeah. That's all it is. It's a muscle. Resilience is a muscle. And just like if you believe in yourself that you can do it, you grow the muscle. But you only get it by achieving things. You can't wish your way to be more resilient. You have to prove to yourself you are resilient. Mm. But I, have to, I really recommend small, meaningful steps that allow you to navigate this. So one of my hacks as well, Fred, is meditation. And I meditate in the morning now for 25 minutes. That's a scary number. But I started with two minutes in the morning. The next week I did four. The next week I did six. 
That's a small step your listeners can take right now, this week, next week. Two minutes in the morning, white noise in the background, set a timer for two minutes. When it's done, move on. Don't worry about what I should focus on. Just breathe. Wherever the mind goes, the mind goes. The next week, you do four minutes. The next week, you do six minutes. And you build that muscle and you prove to yourself that, hey, man, I am resilient. I can do what I say I'm going to do. When you start proving to yourself that you can do these things, you start building that muscle of resilience in yourself. That might be something your users can listen to, Fred. Yeah, and we could go on and on and on about this, but this is a very rather powerful story. This is a rather powerful story um, that's really getting me thinking a lot. And, you know, it, it, you hear things like that and you, you realize how, how blessed you are. I mean, even in giving the, the challenges that you, you had to go through, there is, I, I sense, I, I sense gratitude. I sense gratitude. I don't sense anger. Of course, if there is, I'm sure there is, but you're, you're, it's not showing, right? I sense gratitude. I sense, you know, just this rather calm sense of, 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 believing that in spite of what's happened to you that this that you're going to keep uh keep keep pressing and, and pushing on how important is gratitude if in fact that's something that that you're 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 exhibiting here in the midst of a challenge like that someone might say look Fred there's really nothing to be grateful for look at what life has dealt me I, I went through this rather debilitating uh, health challenge. I lost my job. I, I experienced a second. What is there to be grateful for? Yeah, Fred, thank you. That's a good observation. You notice there's a lot of gratitude in my vibe because I believe that I'm very, I'm very grateful for where I'm at today. Like I, I talk most of my talk, like I've had surgery in the eyes a month ago to try and correct double vision, which I still have. And I was quite self-conscious with my eyes for a number of years because I, I noticed them drag a little bit in the mirror and I was quite upset with that. But I told myself, hey, man, at least you can walk. Mm. And walk for six months, right? And it's not fair to always say like, well, at least at least you have this because that's not very empathetic to, to mm. think that way all the time. But I'm just saying, trust your life to understand what you have versus what you don't have. Like, right. I remember not being able to walk. I mean, you know, being able to walk is a lot better... I can walk now. My eyes are a bit buggered up, but hey, I can walk now. Start understanding what you have versus what you don't have. Don't don't worry about someone wronged you or did this. Like, hey, forgive and move on. Gratitude is such a key part of this vibe. And otherwise, you're going to be bitter and jaded your whole life. Do you want to be bitter and jaded your whole life? Like my motivation is transition. Excuse me. My motivation is transition from that proving you wrong to, to service. Um, And... That's because I don't want to be a bitter, jaded old man. I want to be a happy, friendly, loving, caring old man. I'm not sure if you saw the Michael Jordan documentary, Fred, Save the Last Dance. Did you see that? No, I have not. Okay, well, now you kind of see Michael Jordan, and he's like a, an all-star athlete, right? He's one of the best, some, yeah. some of the best basketball player of all time. But you see this anger, this resentment, this bitterness inside him when he talks about being motivated by proving people wrong. I saw that and immediately identified that in myself. Like I have that to get me going. Right. Now I'm not comparing myself to Michael Jordan, but I'm not, not comparing myself to Michael Jordan. If you catch my drift, right. I can identify that in myself and understand. I don't want to be that crotchety old man. That's just bitter about this guy who wronged him back in 1984. I want to be the guy who's, who's stoked on life and just grateful for the bat that he had. You can choose how you navigate this and you can be bitter and jaded or you can be happy and grateful. But how you view it is everything. 
perspectives the actual game here and i think that's one of the big things i really want to showcase with your with your audience i've got a story if you don't mind fred if i could share it with your team uh, so learning to walk in Tuton Broadway was uh, challenging. I had, I had moved up from the wheelchair to walk in on supports to walk in in Tuton Broadway with a cane with an eye patch. Uh, Tuton Broadway is what they call up and coming. South South London, think gangs, think sirens, think grime, think dirty. It's hectic spot. I turn the corner in Tuton Broadway, immediately get smashed into by someone on the shoulder. I stagger back. Someone scurries past me on the right-hand side. Someone's been stabbed on the sidewalk over here. And after a few days of this, I was thinking, this place sucks to walk, man. This is the worst place to learn how to walk in the world. And then one day, my perspective shifted. Maybe this isn't the worst place to walk in the world. Maybe this is the best place. If I can walk here, I can walk anywhere. Bump into me, crash past me. Good, bring it on. If I can walk here... I can walk anywhere. Now, Tune and Broadway didn't change, Fred. It's still up and coming as far as I'm aware today. But I went from the worst to the best in my mind. My mood reflected that. What are you looking at in your life that you think is the worst that could be the best? By shifting that perspective, you can turn down the suck in your life and identify what really is happening. I love learning to walk in Tune and Broadway because if I can walk there, I can walk anywhere. What a great spot to learn how to walk in the world. That's a conscious choice I made. And how I made this choice and how I came up with this, I spent a lot of time on my backside, Fred, on the, on the, in the hospital because I was in a wheelchair at this stage, right? Thinking about the problems and what I'm facing, how I can make it better. And I listed all the problems of what I'm facing with walking. I thought, well, could that maybe be the best? Maybe it's not the worst. Maybe that's the best. But that's a conscious choice in my mind that switched it, right? That's perspective for you. Wow. Dan, I, I mean, I, my notes, my notepads filled. I mean, I just, some of the things that's standing out, uh, you can't wish your way to resilience. You got to keep the promises to yourself. Focus on what you have versus what you don't have. Gratitude is key. Gratitude is important. You can be better, better and jaded or happy and grateful. And then you can always shift your perspective. Thank you so much, Dan, for coming on this podcast and sharing your powerful story, but most importantly, the lessons that continue to, to, to guide you, to, to go ahead of you, to keep you moving in spite of all that's happened to you. We really couldn't um, have done this without your listeners as well for tuning in and just being with us as we bring in guest after guest to share their powerful story. Dan, if there's one thing that you want to share to someone who is listening to you today, I wanted to speak directly to someone who may be dealing with some, you know, life issue, life challenge, and, you know, just can't seem to be able to get out of that. What would you say to them? I'd say life happens for you, not to you. You get to do this. You get to do that. Don't worry about what's happened to you. You get to do this. You have the opportunity to succeed and do this. You start framing stuff in that way, you can really start framing things in a positive mindset. Life happens for you, not to you. Life happens for you, not to you. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard this from guests who have been on my uh, on my podcast. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really, I appreciate your time. Here's to continued uh, wellness and health to you, uh, and the best to you and everything that you do, especially as you continue to use your 
story and your message to inspire the world. Until we come your way again next time with another episode. Thanks again and uh, stay well.